Welcome to the Pop My Culture Podcast. I'm Cole Stratton. And I'm Vanessa Ragland. Well, hello, Vanessa Ragland. Well, hello. Uh, Monday, Monday, Monday. <laughs> Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> you can do it with any day. That's the you beauty really of can. that gig. You've moved the Monster Truck Rally to Thursday. Thursday, <laughs> Thursday. Saturday isn't as good because no, it's too many. It's too much. too yeah. long. God, it's just long. enjoy your Saturday. Exactly. Once we get just it. Go to, a, go to the park. Throw a frisbee around. Right? Right. I'll get a dog. Oh. Mm. Hey guys, welcome to our super focused show, Pop My Culture Podcast. Oh, uh, always on topic. That's Never right. Never straying. Never straying. Thank you guys for coming <laughs> to the show. A uh, really fun episode, a really cool guest today. Um, a gentleman. A very, a very smart, funny man. I dare to say one of our most gentlemanly guests so far. Uh, I agree with that. He holds himself like a real gentleman. Yep. And that's Armin Shimmerman. We yes, will get to him lovely. in a few moments. Um, a tiny bit of housekeeping. And some fun stuff, too. Yeah. Um, first of all, uh, if you like the show. Oh, we hope you do. Yeah. Go to iTunes. Leave us a review. Five stars and just say that we make your day better. Right. Though I think we just got one that was one star and I was like, what is this mess? No. Well, as you can see, it's not a mess. It's super structured. <laughs> um, did we just get that? Yeah, we just did. Oh. I didn't tell you about that. Anyways, it's mostly overwhelmingly positive, but every once in a while, that happens. So uh, any, uh, any nice review would be great. Um, also, uh, you can follow us on things like Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest. Oh, yes. Um, big thanks to Heather and our whole Pop Squad. But Heather's been manning up this amazing Pinterest board. Uh, so if you look for Pop My Culture, you can look through some of the episodes episodes and just see the range of bizarre stuff we've covered. It is a mess, but it's a beautiful mess. Yep. The and show, we, not the We'd like to thank everybody that's uh, helped out in some way. Pop uh, Squad. The Pop Squad, which uh, right now, um, our little Scooby Pop Squad is uh, Constance, Bobby, Wen, Liz, Amanda, Heather, and Corinne. So thank you guys yes. so much. Um, and uh, yeah, we appreciate it. it. Having people involved in the show makes it more fun for us, too. And also, we are mostly listener-supported. It's true. I have this burp threatening to come that's just, well, if it does it does it'll be a magical really thing. nervous about it um, there is a donate button on our website you can click it and any little bit helps if you yeah. do give a donation we'll give you a shout out on the podcast and we'll give you our love and warm vibes that you can feel from approximately anywhere on the planet that's right and we do have um a couple of people that we need to thank and uh to do so it's been a little while since she's been here so i thought i'd pull her out of my pocket she's a real handful she is a little uh, handful so i'm gonna pull her here uh, yeah all right tiny oh, Catherine hepburn oh. either oh god it was very what are you wearing flannel why would you wear flannel on oh, this is oh. says october i suppose hello hi hi uh Katie, we uh, it's Catherine. I know we have some people that we uh, need to thank, and I know you love to do it. Oh, sure, sure, I'd love to. Yes, just uh, tell me what to rattle off, I suppose. Like, I'm a little dancing monkey that's just here to perform for you. You know, he never takes me out of the pocket except for this sort of thing, so right. Well, that's just you know, how I'm being treated. For it's how you earn your living in those graham cracker crumbs I give you. They are delicious, thank you very much. You're if welcome. You a little bit of a, a marshmallow crumb, maybe I could have a little party in there, a little, you know, a little campfire. Depends on how well you do on these thank you oh well here we go great 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 okay all right uh first up here uh yes, yes. 
uh, Hillary and James. Hillary and James. What kind of names are those? Those sound like somebody, I don't know, somebody that just goes to the Hamptons and stays there. What are they doing? Playing croquet. <laughs> Wait, am I supposed to be complimenting these people? Or you are. Look, them here, here's some crumbs. Oh, you know, my blood sugar. There we go. I feel much better. Well, thank you so much, Hillary and James. But also, you know, I bet I could beat your ass in a game of racquetball. Catherine, I'm sorry. come on. I'm wearing my big girl slacks today. These people have supported our show. Hillary and James. Luke says, spit in your eye. That's what he says. If we can't afford to do the show, there's me no crumbs to give you. Very well. Who's next? I'll behave myself. Uh, Derek. Derek, uh, thank you so much for your generosity. I really appreciate it. People like you that keep the Smithsonian alive and well. And not operational when I was there last weekend. Oh, thanks, government. to hear that. The shutdown. Now, that was a mess and a half. It sure was. Oh. And finally, Cindy. Cindy, Cindy, Cindy. Remind me of Cinderella, a fairy tale I once heard about a young woman who defied the odds to meet a prince, and then she went on to own a successful business. And I wish you nothing but the best as well. Right. Well, that's it, Catherine. Wonderful. Thank you. Thanks. Oh, no, 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 no. Now, I'm not ready to go shit, back sorry, in Sorry, back in no, the pocket. No, 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 no. It might be cruel the way I'm keeping her, but... <laughs> I think so. Give her at know. least a hamster cage or something. Yeah. It's just better to have her near my heart. Oh, mm. yeah, it's cuddly. <laughs> it's cuddly. Pocket it's cuddly. Uh, one last thing before we uh, get to our episode. We uh, we have some friends, some good friends, Dorian yes. Davies and uh, Kenny Stevenson, who uh, made a film that's actually doing rather well in the festival they circuit. They did. It's a great movie, and these are great people. And it also ties in today. We're also talking about another indie film that's being made. Yep. Um, but it's awesome when you start knowing these people that are making these awesome creative contributions to the world. And for you guys, anytime you can check it out, that's great because it's harder to get access to this stuff. That's right. So the film is called Love, Sex, and Misconnections. And it's a... It's They've a, got you at the title. That's right. It's a cute romantic comedy. And uh, it's uh, Amazon DVD is been released, I believe, like now. Cha-ching! And uh, it, you can pre-order it on iTunes on November 1st. And November 12th, it'll be available on several platforms. And uh, they're doing a Bay Area red carpet premiere at the Landmark Embarcadero Center Cinema in San Francisco on November 19th. Those are some of your haunts. We know we've got some San Fran listeners. But yeah, you can look it up. Look it up on iTunes or Amazon, Love, Sex, and Misconnections. It's a great movie. And again, it's it's just made by these awesome, hardworking people that are good friends and good people. Yep. And they have a website for that, too, which is lovesexandmisconnections.com. Whoa, curveball. Weird. I would dot have done dot love. Oh, that's good. Is there a dot love? I don't know if that's a lot. It should be L-U-V. Yeah, if they do L-U-V. So check that out. And uh, and we'll also be talking about a Kickstarter for uh, Danny and Divine Meet the Apocalypse on the thing. Uh, and their website is ddmta.com. We'll be talking about it in a little bit. With you Armin. might notice the theme. Like, everything we're talking about is like, support these people. Please support, support these us. artists support. that we love. But the truth is, uh, you know, people are working really hard to make content that's exciting. And it's a hard world to make things in. And I think if you've got a little extra, it's a great way to show that you support being entertained. I agree. And, you know, it's not political, which is nice. That's true. God, we need a break from all the politics. That's right. And uh, there's actually a, a postcard from the Dionne and Divine film that uh, Armin Shimmerman, our guest, signed, which will be given away to a listener. So leave your answer to the first question uh, that we asked later in the show on our website. Hotmichaelterpodcast.com. Yep. And we'll pick somebody out of there for, uh, there's a couple of them. So a couple winners. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Speaking of, let's get to our awesome guests. That sounds like a great idea. Here we go. <laughs> 
Uh, our guest today played Quark on Deep Space Nine and was also the perpetual thorn in the Scooby Gang side. Uh, <laughs> Principal Snyder on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Armin Shimmerman is here. Hello, Armin. Hello. Nice to be here. Thanks You're for welcome. being here. Yeah, thank you thank so you. much. We did it. We did the introductions. Yeah. I feel good. I know. One Rolling. thing off the list. It's going Ooh. great. Gosh. <laughs> Say guest name. <laughs> Check. Sure doesn't stop, though. We have to keep talking. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Content just doesn't make itself. Oh, isn't that the truth? I tell you. Mm. Um, really excited that you're here. Thanks very much for doing this. My pleasure. Um, so let's see. What should we start with? Uh, did you see Gravity by any chance? No, did I you get out to that? No, I'm very bad about seeing movies. That thing is, um, it's kicking butt. Oh my gosh! Yeah, at the box office, it is just rolling. It's breaking all sorts of records, and it's breaking all sorts of 3D records because people are actually wanting to go back to see a 3D movie. Which it's been a little while since they've been. What was since the Avatar. last movie? I guess it was Avatar, basically. That like a, had to event see that 3D. Yeah. That, yeah, that people were like, you have to see it that way. There's no other way to see it. That kind of thing. Otherwise, it's just been like really awful, like post conversion, like afterthought 3D. Let's make it 3D, right? <laughs> And I feel like half the time, like your your eyes adjust after the first like twenty minutes, anyways, and then you kind of forget that you're watching the three D, anyways, and the gimmicks sort of lost. Yeah, I mean, as far as three uh, D goes, it's uh, it's new, and 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 uh, filmmakers are always looking for something new. So so to that extent, if it, if it becomes a more three dimensional experience, I suppose that's something you want to see. But uh, I think they're at the beginning of this now, and so there's a lot of glitches in it for it to work out right and, and it's it's a pain in the ass to wear the glasses so. yeah it really is <laughs> even though everyone looks amazing yeah. especially when you're wearing glasses over glasses oh you know? yeah exactly yeah. Glasses over the, glasses. and if you're really cool you've got sunglasses on too so you've got three layers of glasses happening yeah. Corey hart can't do it <laughs> he can't not during the day at least no. <laughs> it just feels to me like it's just harkens back to like the old like william castle movies when they were trying out all the weird like sensor rounds and like you know when they did the tingler and they like had the seats vibrate to scare right. you. But remember, sound was an experiment as well. So that's true. Yeah. <laughs> and now they're trying. I haven't seen anything with it. I don't know if you guys have the Atmos sound, where the speakers. It's the new Dolby. John's gonna correct me when I'm it's wrong because like he's very into sound. But it's like immersive sound, sound basically, um, where all the different atmospheric sounds are coming from different speakers. But you have to go to a theater with these special speakers installed and. Haven't gotten to do it yet, but I want to. I think I've seen something because I remember the demo. Like whenever there's a demo for a surround sound, it's always like in a rainforest. (laughs) (laughs) So you can hear a macaw over here and a waterfall over here. You hear all the way around you. I I guess there's no other place they could have done that. Like let's. And it's funny because it's always like the most isolated nature thing, and you're in this like super high tech (laughs) arena to hear sounds. Like you could just go to a forest, walk in the forest. Why would you in this day and age? You can just go down to your multiplex. They don't have popcorn in the forest. <laughs> Who would want that? They have mosquitoes. Yeah, exactly. But gravity is, it's killing. It's making serious bucks. And you love it. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I really liked it too. Uh-huh. I, it was just too scary. Really? You thought it was that scary? Well, it's so tense. I mean, that's, it not, is a, tense. that's not a spoiler. The whole movie is just tension. And I was exhausted by the end of it. And space... I mean, I don't know how you feel because I know your career is largely based in it, but I think no one should ever go because it looks horrible <laughs> and terrifying. The, the secret in, on our show was that uh, half the cast, the main cast, were afraid of flying. A little oh, my gosh. So. 
We're not getting anywhere near space. That's again. amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it seems like everything that takes place in space is terrible. <laughs> like all your stuff it's is like just beautiful terrible things happening. It's like they, they always have a moment to be like, "Hey, look at that view." Can't be that view. Look at Earth. Great, huh? Oh, aliens were dead. No, like, but it's... even the view, it's like, oh, look how tiny and inconsequential everything is. And now we're just in the middle of suspended in nothing. And we don't matter. Isn't that pretty? No. <laughs> no. There's no point, you guys. I guess you like your existential space dramas. I just, I just can't handle it. It's too much. It makes me upset and sad. I feel so little. But it was a good movie. Sandra Bullock looked amazing. <laughs> She did, she did look pretty great. Well, I know that like, when I saw um, at Comic-Con, Alfonso Cuaron was there and talked about it, how it was supposed to just take a year, and it took eight years of his life. Really? Yeah, eight the, years? Wow. The last movie he did was Children of Men, which is fantastic. And uh, he's, I guess the, the technology just wasn't what they thought it was when they were starting to make it, so they kind of invented a new technology where basically the actors instead, because they're always spinning around because it's just in space and they're in these suits. And, it looks but, amazing. But they weren't. The, when they shot it, the actors were static. They weren't moving the whole room and the camera around them was so the room was rotating and these cubes and like the camera moved and this whole brand new thing which you know i'm sure that the actors are like oh thank god they didn't use green screens so that they could do that easier or that wasn't something that would fulfill with the vision i think they painted it in with yeah, green yeah, screen. Yeah, yeah. But to get the atmosphere stuff right. And they also, so I'm going to get this wrong too, but they had, they built these cubes that the actors would be in and there were projections on the walls of what the movie would be showing on the outside. Mm-hmm. So the actors could look at what their character was seeing right. and also the lighting would always be right. So the moon would always be in the right place and things like that in their fake atmosphere. Uh, and then it got painted afterwards. Smart, yeah, yeah, really smart stuff. Made it, I'm sure, so much easier for the actors to not just be in a complete void, you know? Ooh. And it's a brilliant technological achievement, if any, you know, if nothing else. If you're ever going to do a space movie again. Yeah. Right. Well, some uh, reporter... Really use that for a Western. No. Yeah. <laughs> we don't Let's have the technology yet. We got the cubes out back. Come on, guys. <laughs> I really feel an immersive horse experience. Uh, some reporter at some press junket asked Alfonso Cuaron, um, what was it like filming in space? Oh, really? <laughs> so it's that convincing. Well, afterwards, because there is a shot of like Sandra Bullock sort of suspended in, in like not wearing, like you can't see how they could possibly have painted the wires out or anything, just sort of like in the fetal position, like spinning, and that was amazing. Like I don't, I still, I thought they must have had an anti gravity chamber or something that they did that in, but it's all just like a bunch of genius technical people. Well, there, is a, there is a way, I mean, I can't remember the film that Ron Howard directed um, where they took the cast up into a specialized airplane and they, they went straight up and then they went straight down, in which case there was no oh. gravity. Oh, right. I think and, so. and then maybe Apollo. Some of that. Maybe Apollo. Yeah, it was Apollo. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and perhaps that's how they shot that. But who knows? Oh, my gosh. You do always hear these stories about actors doing that and being like, oh, yeah, I vomited all day. <laughs> they got the shot. I was like, oh, good. I don't know if I want to put myself through that. <laughs> the other thing that's funny about the movie, too, is like scientists are using it as an excuse to like nitpick the science of it. Of gravity. Oh, really? oh yeah, they're going crazy, but like, well, it's not accurate. There, the space station wouldn't be that close, and like, wait, it's a, it's not a documentary. Last time I checked, <laughs> it's a movie, ladies. <laughs> we can all relax and enjoy the exactly. show. I mean, where were the scientists when I don't know ET came out? You know, well, you can't a, a disprove ET. Cannot. You know what I mean? It's just like you can, any any piece of fiction you can nitpick to death. Because... Well, I've talked to scientists about beaming. Mm-hmm. You don't want to go through. That. 
<laughs> have they brought it up to you? Yes, they have. They explained <laughs> to me how fun. difficult it was, and I went, you're right, I don't want to ever do it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I guess what, you're, you're All your arranging. All your hands are disassembled, and then they're right. put back together, and they have to be put back together exactly the way that they were found. Oh. And one little tiny glitch somewhere, and, and you know, you've, you've lost your head. Or, Kablooey. Yeah. All your <laughs> organs are over there. You know? <laughs> are there other things like that that you get... Um, like logical approaches with like people really want to tell oh, you oh yeah, yeah yeah people often often want to uh, ask you about uh, scientific things in in the programs i've done and and we're never told we're just yeah we read about it. okay we get being from here to there and, and <laughs> it's fine it's like I that go to my trailer uh, in between and right. everything works out okay it's like that saturday night live sketch with william shatner where he's at the convention and they're asking him questions he's like it's oh, just yeah. a show get a life <laughs> i don't know i'm asking the combination of the safe on some episode of whatever but yeah that is funny but People he should know he should know <laughs> it's amazing though that you'll work on something for you know you're on seven seasons seven, i think yeah and um and i'm sure you know quite a bit about quark and you know the stuff that you worked on but like people expect you to know every bit of minutiae about your backstory they, in life they did i remember once one young man in his teens asked me well how long does it take to travel from the space station to Bejor and I said oh, it takes about a minute to walk from one soundstage to the other <laughs> his dreams were dashed dashed but that's, that's part of the fun you know yeah. <laughs> and you know that if you just made an answer up they would find a way to poke a hole in it exactly well because there's so much outside of the show so much lore that exists and so much well, history that's been created and, and, yeah. our, and on our show writers were very uh uh, diligent about trying to make sure that the lore was never violated, and they had to do lots and lots of research because the show has been around for yeah. years. Uh, but they did their best to to not violate anything terribly. I mean, that's a crazy thing that it's been built up for so long, and so many other things have advanced around it. So there's like a sort of kitsch nature to the lore. That's right. That's right. You know, and I must say, there are a lot of things in Star Trek that uh, that you know are now just part and parcel this is you, the audience can't see it but this is pretty much a communicator in fact uh, Leonard once told me that uh, the guy who, who invented um, cell phones the design of it was purposely based on communicator from oh, the really? Star Trek and the and the iPads that we read that we used on our show are now of course they were they were future things then but what's it 15 years later now everybody has an iPad so it's all coming it's crazy yeah. have, you, have you seen the commercials for that new watch phone oh yeah I think it's I don't know oh, what yeah. it is it's like a galaxy or something right. or Samsung something or I don't know clips from, that must have cost them a lot of money I yeah, know so to, many borrowed clips clear the clips <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a lot of money yeah but I'm, I have to admit like I, I you know I pretty much fast forward you know on DVR stuff but I, like, I caught a start of it and I was like wait what and I came back and I watched the whole spot because I was like oh my god I'm just confused do you have to hold the I got very lost in like, wait, but how do you talk to the watch? Same way you talk to your phone. You know, you just yeah, look just at it. Just put it up. Put it up to your head. Yeah. Take it off. I mean, it's exciting. I lost my mind over a calculator watch when I was 10. It was the best <laughs> thing I'd ever had. So I'm pretty sure that would go over well with me, too. <laughs> I know. I, got to, I don't think I'd ever buy it. But at the same time, I'm like, I kind of want that. Because it does feel like the future excited. is here. All those things that make you feel like, oh, my gosh. Can't it's you just talk through. on your phone? What's the difference? Oh, there's so much difference, Armin. <laughs> Well, I, don't, have to explain I don't feel that to like later. Dick Tracy on my phone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Only when I'm or looking Inspector at my watch. Gadget. Right. Oh. Or Gadget. 
yeah. go go gadget. I don't know. It's and exciting. is it that all it does is you can talk on it? I see. I feel like the commercial focus is mostly on just like, oh, it's here, isn't it cool? And yeah. doesn't really explain a lot of my bigger exactly, questions. Exactly. Yeah. It'd be hilarious if the first generation didn't actually have a clock on it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how we missed the boat on that one. We'll get it in generation two. Uh, it's so funny to me, like too, with the technology and that kind of stuff too. Is like they have way more advanced things already capable, but like they want you to have to rebuy it every couple of years. So they roll out, you know, slight things every single That's right. time. That's why I have a, a flip phone and not an, an iPhone. <laughs> Smart man. I just have not gotten into that sort of commercialism. Oh, it's true. It's safer like, that way. Yeah, because even. Like the uh, iPhones and stuff, not only do they make improvements every once in a while, they also make it so that after about two years, your phone just isn't good anymore. Is that right? Yeah, it just starts functioning slower. and The batteries yeah. just wear out. And yeah. it's like, oh, yeah. they got me right where they want me. Son of a bitch. Ah, I forgive Apple. <laughs> yeah, but, you know. But for, for Deep Space Nine, um, you originally were a Ferengi on... Uh, next generation first, right? Yeah, I was the. I was. There were four, actually five, five original Ferengi on, on the Next Generation episode. Uh, I had arguably the largest part of the five, so uh, in a sense, I guess I was the first Ferengi. Yeah. Nice. Did you outlast all the others? Did I outlast all the others? Yes. Yes. I, I never thought of that. You uh, should. Uh, That's the way to look them, at life. One of them, Jake Dangle, passed away. Uh, um, and Tracy, I believe, is still around. Tracy Walters. Um, the other one I actually never met, so I don't know his but name. But they didn't continue Ferenging. No, no. Although uh, Max Grudenchek, who was also Ferengi in Next Generation, did. And he lasted as long as I did. <laughs> um, but um, it's a long story, which I won't bore you with. But uh, when I was auditioning for Quark... They led me to believe that Rick Berman led me to believe that uh, that the part had been written for me from the work on Next Generation. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. But it wasn't true. I, I don't know. I have to ask Rick again. He, <laughs> he, he said it in passing uh, as I was auditioning, and so I've I've never forgotten the comment. But I'm I'm not quite sure if it was just a passing comment or whether it was the truth or not. I would take it as the truth. So far, yeah. I there you go. Yeah. Why not? Uh, what was the makeup process like? Horrible. Yeah. Uh, I had a, a genius of a makeup artist, Karen Westerfield, uh, who uh, was incredibly good and, and an enormous perfectionist. And, and, and I've always attributed the success of the character, whatever success he had, to Karen as much as me. Uh, you could not do the close-ups. You could not. Uh, she enhanced my whatever was left of my face, which was my eyes and my chin. Um, she enhanced my eyes so that I could be expressive with the eyes that the original concept of the makeup didn't have. Oh, wow. So, and she took a lot of heat for adding some stuff that she, she had not been told to do, but out of her artistry, she did it anyway, and by the time they saw the dailies, it was already there, and they couldn't take it back. Oh, from the <laughs> very beginning? Yeah, from the oh, very beginning. Oh, that's amazing. At least from Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. not from Next Generation. And uh, so, what was the makeup process like? Um... I'd get in there early in the morning. On Mondays, it would be 5 o'clock in the morning. And uh, Karen would then... uh, There were two parts to my makeup. Um, What I call the helmet, which consisted of the ears and the forehead and and the large ridge that went over the the eyes, that was all one piece. And uh, that was left aside for a while. 
the, the important part was the face mask, which which was the nose and the cheeks and everything that went down to my mouth and, and on to the corners of my mouth. And uh, that was always a beige color. Uh, that was glued on. Um, that took about 30 minutes, 40 minutes, I'd say, to glue on. Um, and then the, the the head, the helmet I just described to you, which we used constantly. We probably used it the same helmet for about a month and a half, which means it got to be very foul smell <laughs> towards the end. But it uh, it went on next, and it it, it joined with the face mask, um, and uh, that too was glued on. And so what happened was my entire head, except for my chin and mouth and eyes, uh, were all glued together, and there was. It was an entire Ooh. band of glue around my neck. Um, and then, uh, as I said, the helmet was already painted, was already uh, had been used before, but the mask then had to be painted, and she had to draw in all the lines, all the discolorations, all the, uh, the things that made Quark's face Quark's face. And then at the end, uh, uh, and, and then whatever part of the face that was not covered by prosthetics was then something called PAX, which is a very gummy makeup, was applied so that my skin color matched my uh, appliances. And uh, that was a, that was a rather uncomfortable part of oh, the Oh, this whole thing sounds like an uncomfortable part. <laughs> it was. Yeah. And, and then eventually my hands and, and neck uh, were painted with the packs as well. Um, as to be uncomfortable, I thought it was uncomfortable. I always thought it was uncomfortable, and everybody who wore it thought it was uncomfortable. However, my brilliant wife once gave me a, a piece of information that I, I held on to with both hands, which is that if... And I always wanted to beat Quark. I always wanted to be part of the yeah. Star Trek because I was a huge fan of the original show. So uh, my wife, knowing that, once said to me, uh, if you want to be a knight, you have to wear the armor. Oh, that's the best thing so somebody true. could say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I got used to it. It was, it was not comfortable, but it allowed me to be uh, on Star Trek and allowed me to play this incredible character. And uh, uh, I'm grateful. And it, it probably gave you a rush every time you took it off of just like a it free. Did. The, the, <laughs> best, the best part of the day was when the head came off. Uh. Um, and and when the makeup was removed and I was back to my own face, the very last part of the process was the makeup artist Karen would give me a hot towel or two or three hot towels, and and all of us in makeup, whether they were Ferengi or, or Klingons or or Romulans, um, all of us waited for that hot towel. That hot <laughs> towel was, was the it was well worth the hour, and I sat there for an hour to have the makeup removed. Oh man! Uh, it was well worth the hour to get the hot towel at the end. It's a first class experience. Yes, it was. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know if I can handle it. That's that's so crazy. Uh, there were people who couldn't. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we had not that many cases, but during the course of the seven years that I worked, I I saw, and there were perhaps others that I didn't see, people who were put into makeup, not necessarily Ferengi, but other aliens, and uh, either s- during the process said, I can't do this, I, I can't do this, yeah. and, and they had to stop, and we had to find another actor, ASAP, mm. because the, the actor couldn't take it. Or um, they they tried, they lasted for a couple of hours, and then they said, it's too claustrophobic, I have to get out of here. Oh, man. And, and, and they were not screaming, but 
very civilized. We're about, you got to get this off. You gotta get this off. <laughs> like, put me in a red shirt. I'll go down to a planet. I'll yeah. get killed off right away. <laughs> exactly. We'll be good. And, 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 and an aside to that or tangential to that was women had a hard time. They could do it, uh, whether it was large prosthetics like the ones I wore or, or just an enormous makeup sort of challenged uh, appearance. I watched many times. It happened to men, too, but it, it happened primarily to women. When the process was over and they saw themselves transmogrified into another face, mm-hmm. a completely different face than their own, um, they, had, they had initial moments of disorientation, and um, I wouldn't call it fear. Uh, I wouldn't call it that at all, but of perplexity. Hmm. Of the fact that their face, which women, as much, perhaps a little bit more than men, uh, takes so much time preparing yeah. and preparing a face for the world. And it becomes so much of an identity. Uh, exactly. An actor. When their identity was erased because their face was completely changed, it was perplexing huh. for a number of women and men. Uh, I would say, and I'm, I'm sort of prejudiced this way, more of the leading men than, than the... Um, than the character men, but but the leading men too, like some of the women, were were flummoxed and disgruntled and disoriented by the fact that the mirror didn't show them the face that they had cultivated for so mm. long. That's fascinating, and yeah. it seems about right. I mean, especially for actors who you yeah, know, it's a word about their they faces. trade in their face. That's like right. that's their whole right. business. And I would imagine for a woman, it's got to be kind of freeing to be, become that kind of like creature person it, it for some it was yeah. for my wife uh, uh, who played a um, a vote of a vorta mm-hmm. uh, uh, and a Kardashian uh, nope not a Kardashian. Kardashian she didn't she did not <laughs> she didn't play a Kardashian be, or a Kardashian that'd be the scariest she race. played a Bajoran <laughs> she played a Bajoran um, uh, she actually enjoyed it a great deal and there were many there yeah. were many people who really loved uh, being put in the makeup but there was a sizable percentage of people that that were thrown by it. I can imagine it would be kind of a breakdown moment of like, who am I? Yeah, who am I? I used to be pretty. <laughs> and, and, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, for some people, not myself, but for some people, you you go on to for the celebrity, you go on to 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 be appreciated for what you exactly. look like and what you you know, as well as your acting ability, but but also for who you are. There's certainly vanity in our perfection. Um, no. And, and when the, no, not at all. <laughs> and, and when the vanity was taken away, uh, I, I don't think people, some people, realized um, how much of a loss that was. Yeah, and probably how much just who they were affected the way they can walk in the world and how they're treated at craft services. Exactly. <laughs> like, can I budge? Yes. No, you creature. <laughs> and there was a, a there was that, and that's yeah. something I, I've written a novel actually about this, a Star Trek novel about. Um, if you were in one of the prettier alien makeups, um, y- you were treated by everybody better than if you were in one of the uglier makeups. And in fact, if you were in makeup at all, and and you were standing nonchalantly with a human, mm-hmm. um, uh, people always treated the made-up people slightly inferior e- even mm. though it's a human inside yeah. 
It was simply, for me, it was fascinating to watch that simply the way you look um, made a difference in the way people judged you. And then since I had seven years to watch this from my vantage point, uh, it became quite clear to me. Yeah. Well, it makes so much it makes so much sense. And it's also funny in that world. I think, like, as a concept, people can get that. Like, going through the world, you're treated differently if you're this or that. Right. But it's really interesting in a little, like, microchasm like that, where it's like, we've all gotten the same part. We've all worked the same for it. Like, That's we are right. really equals in this room. That's right. Um, but still, like, you just can't let go of those snap judgments and the... Especially, like, impulse. since the, really, like, the entire concept of Star Trek in a lot of ways, that, like, look at all these different races and, and stuff all coming together. Right. Yes, there's friction and there's war and all that kind of stuff, too. But it's supposed to be about an idealistic society where people can, you know, explore and discover together. And it's like the end. That of wasn't the necessarily our version. Of right. <laughs> the other versions, yes, theoretically, uh, our versions was about the conflict of, of people's coming together right. and, and how do we solve that. But we acknowledged the conflicts. We knew that there was friction. Uh, we wanted the friction at least to start with in order to overcome it. But but we never forgot there was friction. Yeah, that was my that was my character's primary goal, uh, primary function in, in the TV show was to create friction between races. Right, and then also yours was unique in the sense that it was on a space station and it was more static. We both whereas, stayed in one place. Exactly, <laughs> everybody's coming and going, but you guys aren't going. That's right. Which is very different than all the Although, other series. In fact, the studio imposed upon us a, a spaceship. Uh, in the fourth season, we got uh, a ship called the Defiant, which allowed the crew—not me, but the crew—to to, to uh, go into space and to do various things. That was never part of the original concept. Uh, but this, but the studio, fearing that it wasn't Star Trek enough because right. we didn't oh. have a ship, said you have to have a ship. And although I don't know what the what the writers' initial response to it, but but I have heard from the writers. That that wasn't something they wanted. Wow! I mean, they could, there's so many possibilities. You could have done like Quark's Hawaiian Adventure. <laughs> I did that once, actually. <laughs> well, you sort of did. I by, did do that once. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> by going on Regis and Kathy Lee as Quark. Yeah. Uh, I, there's clips of that on YouTube. It's online. It's really fascinating to watch. Yeah. If you if you watch, uh, that that was that was uh, problematic. Not being in the makeup, I was used to the makeup. But Kathy but they Lane. said to Karen, and Karen of course came with me. Um, they said to Karen, "Okay, we're going to have him. You have to have him made up by this time, so we can bring him on as Quark." That was easy enough because we just brought me in early enough, so it was fine. But the problem for Karen and eventually for me was, and then we want him back in about twenty-five minutes as Armin and not as Quark. <gasps> now, understand. Uh, as I said, Karen was a perfectionist and enormously careful about my face and skin. And and it had never, ever taken 25 minutes to get it off. It always took an hour plus. And you were not going to get the hot towel in that time and frame. I was not no. going to get that. Exactly. <laughs> but it had always taken an hour plus because it just takes that long yeah. to, to carefully and safely remove the makeup. So uh, they said, you have 25 minutes to get him back into into his normal face and uh karen was a little worried about that she didn't think she could make it but in order to do it and she did do it because she's a genius and she did do it but in order to do that the solvent that was always judiciously applied uh um to my face in order to very carefully fillet the the plastic Uh off the skin um 
was tossed on practically in, in pailfuls onto my onto my face, and and when I went back as Armin as opposed to Quark, uh, there was so much fumes on my face <gasps> and head that that sh- I don't know whether that part is on YouTube or not, but <laughs> but but if you see me in in that part, it's me just you, it's like I've got alcohol fumes everywhere, which is what <laughs> I did have. And I'm answering the questions, but I can't barely see the people. Oh my and, gosh! And I'm, all I'm sensing is the fumes and the and <laughs> I'm doused in, in what oh. we would call alcohol, but it's not alcohol. But 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 just alcohol everywhere. So that was difficult. I'm glad no one lit wow. a match. And or I have no idea what I said in that second part because <laughs> all I'm going is, huh? Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's all right. Regis and Kathy don't listen. Anyway. That's right. <laughs> You're in good company. Yeah. <laughs> it was such a unique concept to like bring somebody on and full. And I understand it. just came back a couple of years later as a Halloween thing as as Quark. So that was very. I love it. Very nice. flattering. I wonder, did he call your lady? He doesn't write. He doesn't call. <laughs> Typical regions. So they used to have this Star Trek experience in Vegas, um, which actually I went with Gabe and Etta, our, our good friends. We'll talk about their Kickstarter in a few. Soon, I um, hope. Soon. soon. <laughs> and uh, and uh, they're just about to shut it down. It was like the last week it was running. And part of that was Quark's Bar, which was an actual full-service restaurant with lots of booze um, and full-on bar menu and stuff like that and uh, it was pretty cool and did you ever have a chance to go and drink oh my god many times and and, uh, I bet you never had to pay for a drink exactly yes (laughs) and and not only did I never have to pay for a drink they always treated me as the boss oh I love it I'd walk in and uh, the restaurant would come to a halt the, all the waiters, all the people in, in costume uh, would come over. The, the management, the actual people who ran would come over, and uh, they'd invite me back. And, and uh, you know, I think once I did ask, can I see the books? And they said, sure, we can show you what the books are. Oh, wow. and, uh, um, but I was always treated as, as Rick at Rick's Cafe. Um, oh. uh, it, it never paid for a meal, never paid for a drink. I, I once brought a party of 12 in. We all ate. We all drank. I expected to pay, and they said, no, no. We, oh, I love it. Um, it was a, a wonderful place for me, and and um, and I enjoyed the food. And and and, uh, but unfortunately, it was mostly a lunch place. Although people certainly ate dinner there, but they they couldn't make the kind of money that uh, that restaurants in, in in Las Vegas usually make. Right. And so eventually, the dollars and cents of, of the restaurant didn't make sense anymore. And if I can say this. It's too late now. I'm going to say it, <laughs> which is that the restaurant, which was part of the Paramount Parks, it was Paramount Parks, an element of Paramount Parks, and the Hilton Hotel never got along. Oh. So Paramount Parks and Hilton never got along. So when the lease was up, nobody was eager to renew it. Oh, that's too bad. Gotcha. So that's why it went under. That's was such fun. a once in a lifetime experience, though, to have like a little kingdom that you get to go to. It was a little kingdom. Life. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I, I, and on occasion, I would say, yeah, I have a restaurant. <laughs> I'm a restaurateur. Exactly. It was really fun, though, to go. We had, you know, I think my wife and I split the warp core breach. Those were, those were very powerful. At least the ones yeah. I had were very powerful. It was, it was a good time. I definitely miss the fact that it's not there anymore. But. And there were elements, elements of the restaurant and of the experience that were gobsmackingly. Exact to the set. Uh, I remember a fish, for instance, that they had hung, and I went, "That's exactly the fish we have." It was a painted sculpture, and it was exactly the same as what we had on the set. Um, and and so the experience, in some senses, and there were, it was more than just a fish, 
were as close as you ever were going to be to being on the set. Yeah. The bar, of course, was ten times larger than this, the actual set was. But... Um, and the drinks were real <laughs> right. restaurant as opposed to the whatever I made, which didn't make any sense. <laughs> I was lucky to get the liquid in the glass. Um, but, uh, uh, but the experience was, as I said, the closest you would ever get to being on the set. That's amazing. That and should be their logo. or should have been. It's more than just the fish. It's more than just the fish. <laughs> there are, like, if you go online, there are scans of the menus and stuff. Everything's kind of preserved and yeah. photos of the whole thing. It's they tell me, cool. whether it's true or not, I don't know, that that parts of the restaurant or of the experience as a whole uh, are, are stored away somewhere that it could be reopened. But the truth is, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, probably not. Somebody's with us. If a Storage Wars episode ends up with that case, it's <laughs> a delightful thing. People will bid. Uh, well, let's talk about Dionne Divine Meet yeah. the Apocalypse, Good. which is um, this. It's the second film, sort of, by uh, Gabe and Etta, uh, Gabriel right. Dionne and Etta Divine. They're wonderful. Uh, they are great. They are wonderful. Old, and they're incredibly talented and, and creative and funny and, and, and erudite. Yeah, they're amazing. They did this film called The Selling a couple of years back, which Cole Stratton is. I am in that, uh, playing Ed with uh, in my scenes are with uh, Kitty Swink. That's right, my wife, and uh, they're very fun. It's like the one scene that like doesn't forward the plot at any point, but they thought it was funny, so they kind of kept our banter in, which is nice. Good, Um, which is always good to see. You know, when you're doing a scene that's like superfluous, they're like, "Well, this could be what ends up on the cutting room floor." So they're doing a new film, um, which is very very funny. It is a uh, it's it's a comedy. It's also uh, an apocalyptic 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 picture. That's right. It's mostly now's the time for it. Exactly, uh-huh. and uh, they uh, they they write to their strengths, which is to play themselves. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they are playing themselves. This is the they, opposite of my. They strengths. are uh, they're a comedy duo. They were before they started doing films, and so and they kind of stopped doing that for a little while to concentrate on filmmaking stuff. And now they're back to doing both and and writing novels about uh, you know uh, Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer and, oh and robots. Oh my gosh, they're the most creatively prolific. Amazing people. They're, they're, they wear a lot of hats. Yeah, <laughs> they are hat wearers. Um, so the film is uh, is about to kick off a Kickstarter. In fact, I believe it starts tomorrow. Ooh. Um, but so when this is up, it will be up. Um, which uh, people can check out at ddmta.com. That's like for Dionne Dionne Divine, Divine Meet, Meet the, the Apocalypse. apocalypse. <laughs> um, and you all the information will be there. Uh, there will be great incentives to uh, donate some bucks and help. Yeah, and, and there, there are lots of nice things. That are, they're, that the, they're, they're going to, once the campaign is up, I believe they're going to, I think they call them Apocalypse Tips, yep. uh, <laughs> which uh, will be, I'm sure, funny and, and helpful uh, tips every day about uh, about how to run your lives. Yep, and it's got a bunch of people from the movie, and especially I believe the, you did the first one. Yeah, we did the, we did the first one, and then there's also a clip of uh, Harry Groner, who's also in the film, who who uh, who's done an enormous amount of theater and is a Tony Award winner. And who, for the Buffy fans that know me, I would also know Harry as the as the mayor of Sunnyvale, Sunnyville, <laughs> and. Um, and he and we do a clip together about about encountering the apocalypse and what we do very funny because of course Ed and Gabe have done it so it's very funny, <laughs> but uh, he's in it as well. Yeah, yeah, they're going to release those like once a day. Once um, a day, I'm doing one as well. I think mine's the 13th or something. And it was <laughs> the bit I came up with is that I don't get it and I'm giving an alpaca tip. Uh. <laughs> so that's that's mine. But uh, that's going to be really funny. And the the movie itself, it's basically going to follow the two of them um, who are trying to take their act on the road even after the apocalypse. Right. And before uh, and during and after. And after. Yeah. 
Uh, and actually, I will be in it as well, re- uh, reprising yeah, my, my same uh-huh. role from The Selling, uh-huh. which is weird. So I will be play- I kind of like the guess the Jay and Silent Bob of their film <laughs> universe. So I'll be playing Ed again. Um, and there's lots of other great people uh, in the film as well: Janet Varney, uh, Don Didowick, uh, Harry, you, Kitty Swink, yes. Swink. Yep, it's gonna be great. Um, so guys, ddmta.com. We'll put a link on. Uh, go every day and get in a pocket tip. There you go. We'll put a link up. So you guys, uh, if you come to our website, popmanculturepodcast.com, on this thing, we'll have links to everything as well. Because, um, yeah, support them, guys. It's hard to make a film nowadays. <laughs> it is hard. And, and they work very hard, and they're very good. Um, and I'm sure they've got gifts that are terrific that they'll, they'll send out to people who contribute as well. Yep. And the ultimate gift is getting a movie made exactly. that everybody gets to enjoy. And for those who are Quark fans, uh, uh, the fact that Quark is donating money for this uh, should tell you that it's really good. <laughs> you get it. You get it, right? <laughs> so what is your role going to be like? Um, uh, my is wife, that a spoiler? It's sort of a spoiler. So <laughs> my wife and I uh, you know, meet them, and, and uh, we're... We're not quite sure about what's happening, so uh, and that's that's enough <laughs> and about what we do. You know, go to the theater. I, I, I've everybody. always been trained not to give away anything, so you have to see the movie to find out. We right. know it's good. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of an homage to the old road movies. Yes, the, it is an homage movie. to the road movies, and and it is very funny, and and uh, uh, they're actually part of their difficulties is, is finding a, a, the right road to film on. Um, because when they find the right roads, it's usually very expensive to rent them out because uh, it has to be a dirt road. Uh, I hope I'm not giving anything away there. And um, um, and they're they're having a little bit of a problem, uh, you know, finding a location. But, so but if the contributions. Got a dirt road out there. Yeah, if anybody's got a dirt road that is incredibly uh, photogenic, please. Uh-huh. Please let uh, let us know. Plus, they're trying to shoot it in sort of in order in That's right. real time, so that they actually like their hair gets longer. That's right. Gabe's beard gets longer and longer. Uh, Edda doesn't have to worry about that. Uh, but but Gabe's beard will will progressively get longer and longer. So they're going to shoot it in real time. And they've been sort of doing that right now, anyways, for their yeah. I videos. saw Gabe a couple of days ago, and and uh, I went, "Who are you?" He looks ridiculous. Yeah, he does. Especially since because they're they're not shaving at all. Like that, it's got his neck beard like where you would normally shave a beard to like kind of clean it up and you know make it look good it's just out of control so guys they're doing this for their art yes so if you see him don't he's not a panel handler he's just a movie maker right he's 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 rocking this look 24 7 right now so godspeed gabriel diani uh yeah the movie's gonna be fantastic once again ddmta.com and pocket tips videos i think we said that enough there'll be links up yeah it'll be good uh, so Harry is in the film as well. Yes, I Harry Groner. And uh, you guys uh, worked on Buffy together. We did. Uh, ironically, um, I worked with him long before he was ever part of the cast. Um, I had lots of phone calls, calls to the mayor, and uh, I, I, I never pictured Harry as the person I was talking to. But one, once Harry was cast, and I, his performance in Buffy is, is one of the gems of that series, uh, incredible performance. Yeah, he's fantastic. And, uh, I mean, that whole show, like, it really developed. It, you know, was a very different show when it started to where it went. But it's brilliant. And uh, what was the audition like for you? You originally went in for another part, right? I did, and that, that is the audition. Um, I, I'm, I, to this day, still don't know how I got the part of Principal Snyder. Uh, all I know are the facts. <laughs> and the facts were, I went in to audition for Principal Flutie, the predecessor to the character I played. 
And, uh, and my good friend Kenny Lerner got it, and he did a terrific job. And in fact, I started to watch the show because Kenny was on it. Um, I'd seen the movie. Um, I wasn't too taken with the movie, and as far as I know, uh, neither was Joss. Um, and and so I was watching it and really got involved in the TV show, really liked it a great deal. But I had auditioned for Flutie and didn't get it, and, and um, I really... I'm trying to think now for some, I must have already been playing Quark. So uh, when I auditioned for Flutie, and then of course Flutie got eaten, and uh, and passed away, and then I got a phone call from the agent um, saying uh, the, the Buffy show just called and they'd like for you to play Snyder, the Ooh. next principal. And I said, great, great. And I said, they they know that I have a day job, right? I, uh-huh. I mean, they know that I that I'm primarily committed to Star Trek. And they said, yeah. And I got there, and I sort of asked Joss this as well, about the fact that you, you know that I have another job. And they said, not to worry. It's our intention that we will, we will go through a series of principles, that the principles will just keep disappearing, being gotten rid of. So you're just the second in the line. Um, and then at the end of the, each season, I did three seasons or... I think I did three seasons. Yeah, three seasons mm-hmm. plus plus one episode. Uh, at the, I always thought they were going to kill me off, and they didn't. And they, they just they just they 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 did. They did indeed I love, love that. me too much. I think part of it is though, when I was shooting my first episode, when I was shooting Band Candy, um, I I was doing a take, and when the take was over, there's this thing called. Video Village is where the director sits and the DP sits, mm-hmm. and and they all watch uh, on a on a monitor what the camera is seeing. And I heard a lot of buzzing happening over at Video Village, and 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 they all seemed very excited. And we did another take, and then again, lots of buzzing. And I finally went over and said, "Is there a problem? Am I doing something wrong?" And he said, "No, no, no. Can you play this back for Armin?" And they played it back. And just as Snyder, as my character, is entering in, into the frame, you can see this, this shadow of, of Snyder entering. And, he, and, I, and there's no makeup on me whatsoever, but, but the shadow has these long Neferatu ears uh, on it. And they love that. And, and, and I think that's part and parcel of why they kept me. <laughs> they're not going to get ears like that That's everywhere. right. They're not going to get ears like that everywhere. Um, but they were they were very nice about keeping me and and they were enorm both Star Trek and Buffy because I did them in the, the last three years of Star Trek and were the were my three years of Buffy, um, and the the two line producers were enormously good about working out schedules so that I could that I could uh, do both. That's and so amazing. It is amazing, and, and in the course of the Buffy years, I believe. There's only, I think, two, possibly three episodes that I didn't do because, because when they were shooting that episode, I was doing a Quark episode, and in a Quark episode, I was needed all eight days. There was no way for me to escape from Deep Space Nine. So, um, but they were very lovely. And then the capper, to, if I may, because I'm very proud of this, you asked, they loved me, um, or said, I, in the last week of shooting a Buffy, uh, my character's long gone. Um, they called me up and said, Armin, we'd like for you to come down and do a, a photo with the cast and crew for the last the last day of shooting. 
And I said, sure. Now, at this point, I'm still watching the show. Um, and there are thousands, I would say, or hundreds anyway, mm. hundreds of recurring characters. So I just assume I'm going to be one of, of hundreds of people. And I get to the set for the photograph on that last day. And uh, there are only four of us. Uh, myself, Christine, who played Buffy's mom. Uh, one of the guys, I should know the character's name and the actor's name, who played one of the three nerd villains. Mm-hmm. And the DP from, um, from when we started. Director of photography. And we took the picture. Uh, got to spend some time with the cast and crew. That was really nice. And when it was done, and I'm walking back to my car... I said to Joss, who's walking next to me, I said, Joss, I, I don't understand. Why weren't there not hundreds of people here? I don't, why us four? And he very sweetly said, Armin, you four are the only four that all of us liked. Oh, so nice. So that was so they did love me. Yeah, that's wonderful. What a good work environment. It it was an incredible environment. Um, and, and, and the time on Buffy was inspirational for Star Trek, my work on Star Trek. And my work on Star Trek was certainly inspirational for my work on Buffy. It is a, for people who aren't actors, they would never understand this, but it was like doing repertory theater. Mm -hmm. I I, I was doing Hamlet one night, I was doing Macbeth the other, and and by doing both, they fuel each other. They were informing the performances. That's awesome. That's amazing. And such a rare opportunity. I mean... Very rare. Because of the conflict. My my, my Paramount contract literally said, you cannot do anything else. Oh, wow. And so my line producers, by allowing me to do that, and, and not only did I do those two shows, but I did a lot of other shows as well, my line producer, Steve Oster primarily, and Rick Berman, who's the, the buck stopped with him, um, were enormously kind about letting me do other things. And then that's, that was allowable because, my, because our show soon quickly found out that, that you could write an entire episode about one of the eight series regulars. Mm. And you, you certainly wanted to see the other series regulars, but the actors were, were capable enough, strong enough, talented enough, that you could write an entire episode based on their on their world, on their character, and you could lead the other people out. Um, and the and they fan did. base was so invested That's in right. every character right. as well, which is rare. That's right. Whereas on the other Star Treks, it's always about the team. Yeah. It's always about how the team solves the problem. And although occasionally you get one of the team members highlighted, it was always about the team. In our case, because we were disparate and dysfunctional and, and sometimes antagonistic to each other, the team is exhausting. Uh, we, we, could, we could go in separate directions and not need the other people. Right. So that allowed me to do other things because I was never part of the team. Certainly the, the, the problem-solving team, I was never part of Starfleet. So they didn't need me most of the time, except when we did a Ferengi episode. And occasionally, of course, they would, they would stick me in somewhere. So that allowed me to do that. My friends on Voyager, the next Star Trek show, I told them, I said, listen, you should do other things. It's a great opportunity. <laughs> and that line producer uh, uh, said no. Oh, we, you can't do other things. I'm glad. So I was very lucky. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah everything along the stars yeah. were in the right position. And you were probably giving people cookies at all the right holidays. I should everything. have done that. Yeah. Not even <laughs> mention it. I should have given better gifts. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's do first. So we yeah. do a different first question every episode. Uh, this one we've sort of covered in a sense, but uh, what was your first costume for Halloween or professional work that required a lot of makeup? So maybe you had a Halloween costume earlier on when you were with a, kid. a lot of makeup. Yeah. Wow. 
Uh, none. I never did anything in makeup for Your Halloween. future knew what was coming. Like, yeah. <laughs> your future uh, self was like, don't do I'm it. Sh- on. I'm sure I played ghosts, you know, sheets and, and hobos, and if I remember that far back. And I remember Halloween was very, very important when I grew up. I grew up in a very small town. I also grew up in a very poor family. So um, I don't think my uh, my mom was a single mom. And uh, I don't think, I don't, I'm quite sure of this. I never um, got made up as a child. And then once I became an actor, the idea of dressing up for Halloween and getting in makeup, that was an anathema. <laughs> I mean, I get paid for this. I don't do this for no free. No thanks, honey. I, you know, candy I can buy my enough. own candy. That's right. I can buy my own candy. My so costume I, I, is the guy with the hot towels. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I never... I don't think I've gotten dressed up for Halloween as an adult ever. Ever. Oh, man. You're missing out. No, you're I know. <laughs> but I do it for a living. So, yeah. you know, yeah. it's not yeah. like I'm missing yeah. out. I do it the other 363 <laughs> days. You can just go as Armin Shimmerman. I, and I have done that <laughs> on occasion. Uh, I don't know. Never done that. How about you, Vanessa? Do you have... The first one I remember, like, face-sweating uncomfort from was my mom got me a Smurf costume from a thrift store, like a felt... Smurf costume with a full mask, but oh. for some reason I still wanted to paint my face blue underneath, which was a horrible idea because it was disgusting. It was all over the Smurf. And that's only one day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one day. I will just never forget. It was in upstate New York, and the horrible sensation of like being so cold, and we were going to get hot apple cider, but I couldn't even lift my Smurf mask up because it was too cold. And so I was drinking it, like sucking it through the felt and like getting the taste of oil-based makeup Ew. in my mouth. <laughs> Yuck. Yuck. <laughs> I'm sure I definitely had some when I was a kid that involved a little bit of makeup, but the thing that stands out in my mind was when I was in college um, at San Francisco State, my first semester, I was in Into the Woods. And um, they split up the roles of the narrator and the mysterious man. So I was just the mysterious man who was like the only character really in that show that wears a ton of makeup. Mm -hmm. And uh, we did like, we ran for like six weekends or whatever, but it was really popular and selling out. So they kept adding shows. So like on a Saturday, Saturday we would do like two shows instead of, you know, we do a matinee and evening, same thing on Sunday. And so for the mysterious man, I wore like, old beard. age makeup and a long beard which they spirit gummed on and you know I was like 18 19 or whatever and uh I had really fair skin my complexion was great or whatever milky, not, milky not a blemish sweetheart. so to speak <laughs> and uh just having that thing on you know for hours at a time and literally just pulling it off for 30 minutes to eat a hamburger and then put it back on again you could not like, take the heat of deep space buddy no well that's i think that's why i like if i was to get an acting job like that i just don't know if i could do it because just i just smell spirit gum now and like i shiver because <laughs> like, my face like broke out i was bleeding a little bit because i was just constantly wearing this thing and 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 the mysterious man's not even that great of a role. Yeah, especially so, when you don't get to do the narrator. Either. Right. I mean, it's fine. Like I sing a song with the baker, and, and yeah, right, I, I right. pop up from time to time yeah. and just go, "Oh, riddle me this," basically, yeah. and then leave. But it is fine. It's not bad as a fret like one of two freshmen in the yeah. show. Like it was all you know, upperclassmen or whatever. So it was. It was. I'm happy to do it. Was it was a coup, and it was like one of my favorite musicals ever. So I was excited to be in it. But yeah, it was just by the end of it, I was like, I don't want to ever. Put spirit gum in my face again. <laughs> I, I was a little concerned about that before Star Trek, um, uh, when they offered me the job, and I knew I knew exactly what the discomfort was because I'd done it on Next Generation. So I called the one person I thought who knew this stuff better than I did, 
and that was Ron Perlman, uh, <laughs> who I had worked a couple of years with on a show called Beauty and the Beast, where mm-hmm. he had been encased in makeup oh, man. all the time, all the time. And I called Ron up and said, uh, so, Ron, um, how did you do it? How did you survive that makeup process and the makeup on your face constantly for so many years? And Ron, who was a very witty fellow, uh, leaned into the, into the phone and said, Armin. Think of the think of the money, <laughs> and I said okay, and, and that got me through. Yeah. Until you needed the Knights Armor thing yeah, a little yeah, while yeah. later. The money. The thing about all, about being on any show or, or any success, no matter what you do, um, after a while, the 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 amazement of it, the the honor of it, the flattery of it, the excitement of it dissipates, and you're and you have to remind yourself why you're Paycheck. there. Yeah. Right. There is sometimes like, fulfillment. you'll get weird. <laughs> you get weird bonuses and pay for things sometimes that you're not expecting. I, I remember I shot an episode of um, America's Most Wanted years ago as a reenactor, and I got shot by the Zodiac Killer. And because they were using a gun with blanks in it, there was like hazard pay, and it was like an extra thousand dollars or something on top or whatever it was. And I was like, "Dang, can I get shot in everything? This is amazing." <laughs> there are there are fees. The union you you were doing non union work, but but uh, the union has, and I used to be a union official, so that's one of the hats I've worn in the past. Uh, uh, the union makes sure that uh, for certain things that are dangerous, there are fees. So, so the writers don't don't go out and write this on every script. Yeah, they right. have to be, because people have gotten hurt. I mean, people have died. We know this. Yeah, uh, that have been shot with with blanks. They've died from the blanks. But I mean, yeah. for a thousand bucks, the money. <laughs> Think of the couple of things your children will get. <laughs> uh, all right, well, let's do my questions. Okay. okay. Um, we always, I put together quizzes and weird things like that. So for this is, it's a what am I? I'm going to name a major or supporting character from Deep Space Nine. You just need to tell me what uh, race they were, like Quark was Ferengi, et cetera, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that. Let's see how you do. I think you'll do fine. Uh, number one, and I might butcher some of these pronunciations because it's been a while since I've seen the show. Uh, Elam Garak, played by Andrew J. Robinson. Oh, well, yeah. He's a, he's a Cardassian. He is. All right, you're going to be just fine. Uh, number two, Ezri It's Dex. not Grack. That's what's wrong me. It's Garrick. It's Garrick. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's spelled right. Uh, 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 Ezri Dak. Or Ezri. Ezri, Ezri Dak. I think yeah, I just she's mispronounced She's a trill. There you go. Actually, only half of her is a trill. The other part... Uh, all woman. It's all woman. <laughs> only the worm is a trill. Uh, you know, actually... Uh, I'm not quite sure. Is the woman the trill part, or is the, or is the worm the worm? Uh, we'll get a lot of right uh, Yeah, I'll have to ask. I'll have to ask Esri. <laughs> if not Jet Zia, one of the two. Uh, Odo. Uh, Odo is uh, what the? F- yeah, he's, uh, he's a pain in the ass, is what Odo he is. is. Um, uh, Odo is a changeling. Awesome. Yeah, you're you're you're, you're rocking this. Uh, number four, Lita. Played by Chase Masters. Oh, uh, say that again? Lita? No, no, no. What did you say before Lita? I said you're rocking this. No, no, no. Oh, did, number four? Did, did you give her a, a first name or something? Uh, I don't think I heard so. the Lita. I, I know that she's Bajoran, but I thought you said something <laughs> else. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, number five, uh, Luxana Troy. Uh, sh- she's a human. Or a human. Hmm. The internet gave me differing well, information. I, I can tell you that she's human. That, that because because 
excuse me, she's not a human. She's a betazoid. Yeah, go. there it is. <laughs> I, I was, I, yes, she's, there you go. she's a betazoid. Uh, man enough to own up to it. Yeah. <laughs> Number six, Brunt. Brunt's a Ferengi. Played by Jeffrey Combs. Yes. Who is awesome. Yes, he is. Uh, number seven, Morn. What is Morn? Uh, Morn is an extra. Morn is. Morn. What is Morn? I have no idea what Morn is. Morn is a Lurian. Okay, thank you. Uh, number eight, Martok. Oh, Martok uh, is a is a cleanup. Indeed. Uh, number nine, Zek. Zek's a Ferengi. Wallace Shawn. Gotta love him. Gotta love him. And number 10, uh, Keiko O'Brien. Uh, Keiko O'Brien is a human. There you go. Had to, throw, had to throw one human in. Oh, my gosh. If you ever go Hold crazy, on. the things that you can spew. Like, you have all this Shakespeare knowledge, all this Star Trek knowledge. Because I was a, a, a large Star Trek fan prior to my appearing on Deep Space Nine, and all of the other actors weren't, I, I, I have very fond memories of... I remember the captain. I remember um, Avery coming up to me and saying, Armin, you know about this stuff. What's a Klingon? <laughs> and then I have to explain what a Klingon is. And, and, but the, and, and in the first couple of months, um, most of them were totally at a loss for what some of this stuff was. And, and I was the go-to person. Oh, man, you ended up in the one place in life where that as, is like a cash yes, day. Exactly. Instead of like you were getting beaten up exactly. for it. <laughs> as I, I've told many a fan, I won the lottery. So. <laughs> did you have a, a favorite like race when you were growing up watching the show? Like- yeah. Yeah, I did. Uh, the episode that I, I thought was astoundingly good, and I don't know the name of the race, but uh, the one where the, where the race had a... One side was black and, and one side was white in the original ep, uh, episodes. And uh, Frank Gorshin, I remember, and Anthony... Oh, what's Anthony? I, he directed me in a, in a show recently. Um, they were the two, and they were fighting back and forth because somebody was lesser because the black half was on one side of the face as opposed to the other. And this being done in the 60s when racism oh, was wow. a huge issue yeah, it's was a, an enormously telling episode. Nice. Awesome. All right, Vanessa, you want I'll to do my do questions. I think you're ready for this. Okay. Have you ever met an Olsen twin? No. Do you she, know what Olsen twins are? I do. Okay. She does ask that every episode. <laughs> yeah. I feel it's like they're a, not quite a, a, a five percent. Sorry, return can't help question. you out, Vanessa. Nobody can. <laughs> I'm stuck in this life. Uh, okay. If you could portray any other character in the Star Trek universe, who would it be? And if you had to recast Quark. From someone in the cast. I'll, I'll do the second one. That's easy. <laughs> the, uh, would be Max Grudenchik. Just pop him in? Yeah. And should have been. In some cases, I think he should have been the quirk. Although I'm glad he wasn't. <laughs> but, but he's, of course, the actor who played Rom. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and I think towards the end, the, the writers uh, were, were eager to, to make Rom if not more important than Quark and equal to Quark. And, and, and we came very close. It came down to me and, and Max. Oh, really? So, uh, so yes, Max would be the person who would play Quark. If I was going to play another character, uh, I would like to play any human that didn't have make. <laughs> there you go. I thought it might go there. Good call. Okay, and this is... So pick an enemy in your head. You don't have to say it out loud. And maybe you don't believe in enemies, but for the sake of argument. If you get to sentence someone that you have a strong distaste for to... Living in a house built on a hellmouth, or going through your makeup process every day. What do you think would be the worst? I would send him through my makeup process. 
Just living on a hell mouth isn't that bad. It's, if you keep your head down, you're all right. right. Don't go out at nights. You're all right. The vampires don't exist in the evenings. So. You're going to be fine. Okay, you've pleased a wizard, and, I mean, I'm sure you've gotten this before, but he has granted you a time machine that you can go... Easy. Go ahead. You don't like him? No. Okay. Oh. Well, there's a two-parter. I, oh, I'm sorry. I, was, I thought I was going in a different direction. Okay, good. Um, but I... Okay, yeah. So, he's giving you two options of a wonderful treat. And one of them is a time machine that you can go to anywhere in the past, not the future. Um, and you can use it for one year. You have full use of this time machine for one year. Or the selective ability to read minds up to ten times a year forever. Which do I prefer? Yes. Easy, easy. 1584, England. I, uh, uh, I would take the time machine. And this is where some of your novels... Yes. And this yeah. where all my, all my life has been in studying uh, Elizabethan times. Uh, and because I'm writing a novel about 1584, 1584 would be the, the exact time. The time go. to go back to... Ooh, somebody should give you a time machine. Yes, and then the should. book comes out and people are like, I don't know if it was accurate to the time period. And you're like, <laughs> I went there. Exactly. And, and my novel if, is... It, most of the... The time spent in writing the novel is is being exactly accurate. Everything down to tables, down oh, to wow. dishes. Uh, everything is exactly what it had to be in 1584. How are you doing all the research? Through the internet. Mm. God bless the internet. Yeah. Beautiful thing. You should go microfiche in sometime. Do you ever what's do that? that? What is it? Go to the library and use microfiche. Oh, oh uh, right. Like what they used to do in the movies and they're doing investigation. They I know. actually... We uh, certainly am old enough to remember doing that, although I never did it. I, lots of friends did it. I used to do it in college just because it was fun to go fishing and like see what would pop up on the thing. Oh. That is like such a different thing now because like in films, like when somebody's trying to do research now, it's that just you just they pop them their laptop screen, and, yeah. and, and you just <laughs> right, see them right. clicking through articles mm-hmm. until they find something and right. then they highlight the text. Before you had to scroll through all the microfiches. You know, yeah. yep. to and you used to have to cast a librarian for that scene or like someone. Yes. And now it's just like, get a MacBook, we'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, if you had to change your occupation in life to one that you've played as a character would you be a judge or a principal i'll just do those two yeah. oh i'd much prefer to be a judge really oh yeah i feel like you would be just i, I you know i've played a lot of judges yes a so, lot <laughs> so uh, uh I, I would prefer to be a judge and my my father-in-law was a judge so oh really his life is pretty good I, i'll take the judge <laughs> plus like when you're a judge you make a ruling it's final when you're a principal not no it's not final there's well, always an appellate court that's true uh but at least it's it's more or less obeyed as opposed to uh principal. principals can make a you know judges can too but principals can make a huge difference I, I had an encounter with a principal when i was in junior high school and he made a huge difference in my life and so you you can you can make a huge difference in people's was it a disciplinarian encounter? it was but it went well it went very well and he you know he gave me a lecture and the lecture sort of sat there and i went okay i can do this i got, got into trouble got uh-oh into trouble. seems like you're not a troublemaker now uh but there is not a on the buffy set anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well thanks for being here armin my pleasure you it did was it delightful. um guys uh you can follow armin on twitter he's at shimmerman armin with one, one M, M. In, in the middle. Yeah. One M in the middle. Um, so check him out there. You can also follow us on Twitter. I'm at Cole Stratton. I'm at Vanessa Ragland. The podcast is at PMC Podcast. And go check out Diani Divine Meet the Please. On uh, Kickstarter. Get D-E-N-T-A. those apocalypse tips. Dot com. Yeah. It's, it's, and contribute. Uh, uh, please. Every little bit helps. So every little bit helps. Projects. And they're not asking for much. But, but everything helps. And it will be. I've read the script. I'm telling you. It's very funny. It's very good. And, uh, and they have some uh, nice uh, parting gifts as well. So uh, uh, please contribute. Please do. 
Well, thank you guys for listening, and thank you for being here, Armin. My pleasure. Thank you. Subscribe to the Pop My Culture Podcast on iTunes. Check us out online at popmyculturepodcast.com, and follow us on Twitter at PMC Podcast. Thanks for listening.